Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule, with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. How does this Georgia Public Service Commissioner see net metering and its future? Being able to articulate why rooftop solar benefits everyone, how it you know, improves grid efficiency, how distributed energy uh, is a benefit, not just to the homeowner, but everyone out there. Listen in as host Bill Nussie catches up with two-term Georgia Public Service Commissioner Tim Eccles for a very timely discussion. Eccles breaks down the important role played by the Public Service Commission. He shares his part in promoting net metering in Georgia and the valuable lessons learned from other states wrestling with this important market mechanism in the transition to local renewable energy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody in the freeing energy world. You know, everywhere across the United States, people are talking about local energy. And uh, when we set this interview up and we wanted to talk about net metering with today's guests, I didn't anticipate just how hot this topic would be. So this is a very timely discussion. And our guest today, one of the very few people in the United States that are actually in a position to make decisions on it. There's a chapter in my book called Meet the 201 People That Control 72% of the U.S. Electricity. And my guest is one of those 201 people. So I'm excited today to welcome Georgia Public Service Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thanks for, uh, for including me, and I'm glad to be part of the 201. And very important, much more than a lot of people know. So hopefully, as we go through this conversation today, Tim, uh, we can really open some eyes about just how important the role that you and your colleagues across the country have, uh, how important it is to communicate, and uh, in the case of Georgia, to vote. So I want to tell a little bit about your background, though, because you've got an absolutely fascinating story, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but just as a brief introduction, you are a proud graduate of the University of Georgia with three degrees. Tim is also the long-running host of Energy Matters, which is a podcast and a radio show that talks about many of the same issues that we do. He's also particularly proud of a nonprofit uh, social impact group he created called Teen Pact, which is really cool as I I have learned more about it. It basically helps uh, high school kids get introduced to government. It takes them into state general assemblies in all 50 states. And their meetings and education is actually held at the state capitals during the legislative sessions. So this is a tremendous uh, way for young people to learn about how government really works. Today, the the main thing we're going to talk to Tim about is his role as a public service commissioner here in the state of Georgia. Uh, He was first elected into that position in 2010 and is now in his second year term and is seeking a third term in November of 2022. And Georgia is one of the only of 11 states in the U.S. where the public commissioners are elected. So, Tim, again, really excited to have you here today. And we've got a lot to talk about. So uh, thank you for making some time for us. It's an important set of topics we're going to talk about today. And the more folks learn about it, the more they apply some of these principles, the more savvy they'll be when it comes to energy. And ultimately, they'll live more sustainably and save money in the process. I should have added in the introduction that there's probably no more vocal advocate for electric vehicles in the state of Georgia. And and few people have done as much to make electric vehicles a big thing in Georgia as Tim. So uh, Tim has really been a big impact, has had a very big impact on the state and its uh, clean energy future. But let's talk a little bit about your personal life. So we read something interesting about you. Uh, We just have to know more about it. There was a time early in your life when you were the only grandson and apparently your grandmother decided you needed to learn how to sew, including the value of the old adage, a stitch in time is worth nine. So do you sew and, and how does that affect your life? 
Yeah, no, I don't sew anymore, but she did teach me to crochet. And I guess that's the hazard of being uh, the first grandchild. Uh, I mean, she, she later had granddaughters who did spend more time crocheting. But, you know, once my granddad gave me a pony and then a mini bike, it was goodbye to the crocheting. <laughs> I love the mini bike. That was my dream growing up. And uh, that's fantastic. You had a really powerful experience in as a teen in high school that we read about. Uh, you were introduced to the motivational leader, uh, Zig Ziglar, and his leadership content. And apparently that had a big impact on your life. Part of it's because of the guy who actually gave me those tapes. It was Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, uh, and gave me those tapes when I was 17 years old after a Rotary Club where I received a Student of the Year Award from my high school there in South Atlanta and at North Clayton High School. Because I respected Truett Cathy, you know, I did put that cassette tape into that tape recorder that he gave me. I mean, I was driving a 1967 Chevrolet C10 pickup that just had an eight-track tape player. I had to go to considerable trouble to actually listen to the content on these tapes, including buying D batteries or C batteries or whatever it was for that Radio Shack tape recorder that he gave me. But I became addicted to Zig Ziglar and some of his philosophies, you know, including that you can get everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And that kind of became my leadership style. So another fun thing we read about was uh, you visiting a fire station on the day of your wedding. Well, I guess when you play tricks on your roommates, it eventually come back to bite you. We had stolen a car from one roommate at his wedding and uh, played some tricks on others. And so when I got married, my roommates sought revenge. And, uh, <laughs> and they showed up with a ball and chain tossed me down at the reception before I even had a chance to put a Chick-fil-A nugget in my mouth uh, and then strapped that thing on with a master lock and refused refused to take it off. Uh, and so I drive away <laughs> from Roswell United Methodist Church, you know, in a Mustang GT with a clutch with that ball and chain, you know, moving back and forth under the brake and clutch and you know, make my way to the Roswell fire station. And fortunately, firemen work 24 hours a day, uh, even Saturday evening. And they uh, were uh, were only more than happy to get the jaws of life and free me from that miserable <laughs> ball and chain. <laughs> it's a great story. Uh, well, a very colorful uh, upbringing there. So let's, let's change gears to what um, will be our main topic today, which is the energy business and specifically uh, the role that the public service commissions play in that. Uh, you know, when did you decide that you wanted to uh, get into this line of work? What was the path that led you to becoming a public servant focused on energy and other areas the service commission focuses on? Well, it goes back to those cassette tapes that we talked about because four years after receiving those cassette tapes from Turek Cathy, I was back in his office because he had promised me a store if I went to college and got a degree. And so I was back to collect on that promise and his offer of a store in Texas or Ohio was made. And because I had listened to those Ziegler tapes over and over and over again, I had set some pretty substantial goals in my life, including becoming a statewide elected official in Georgia and so when he offered me the store out of state, I, I said, despite me needing a job, I, I said, I can't, I can't leave. He said, why? I said, because I'm going to run for office one day. And so little did I know that many years would go by and it wouldn't be until I was 49 years old that, uh, that I was really in a position to run for an office and an open seat came available on the Georgia Public Service Commission, which is a statewide position in Georgia. And I felt like, you know, I, I may not know everything about energy, but I can learn the hard thing is going to be actually attaining the office, winning the election. And we had, prime, uh, you know, three primary opponents and then a, a runoff and then a general uh, with with folks from the Libertarian and Democratic Party. And so it it was three elections before I actually got the position, but I, but I finally did. That's a, a great story and a great segue. I think a lot of people who listen in have some idea of 
what public utility commissioners, or as we call them in Georgia, public service commissioners do. But uh, can you, you know, you've been doing it for a while. You worked hard to get in this position. You know, from your perspective, what is the role of the public service commission? It really is protecting the state against monopolies that um, may or may not take advantage of their monopoly status. I mean, it began with railroads in 1879 and and then telegraph and gas and telephone and electricity. And so the, the, the agency has, has grown in scope uh, through the years, but still we work in the right of way. We are over there where, where you don't want to have 20 different sets of wires. You want to just have one company owning the wires. And so you grant them an, a monopoly status, uh, but you've got to make sure that they don't use that in a way to bully customers or in some way take advantage of that and put the state in a, in a bad position and put consumers in a bad position. And in Georgia, what uh, utilities, in addition to electricity, do you and your colleagues oversee? Well, Atlanta Gas Light is, uh, is the pipes company in Georgia, along with Liberty Utilities out of uh, Toronto, Canada, that owns a couple of gas markets and then we have a number of small phone companies that came into existence around 1912, 13, 14, when the big phone companies didn't want to go out in the country uh, in the rural parts of the state. And so we still regulate those small phone companies. Most of them receive a subsidy of some, of some sort. We monitor that. We administer that uh, subsidy uh, that, that they receive. Uh, from the Universal Access Fund. Uh, and then we, we also manage all the call before you dig 811 safety protocol. So if you are out there digging with a backhoe and you tear up someone's fiber or hit an electricity uh, underground cable or a gas line, then you're going to hear from us and you're going to be fined uh, for your negligence. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. One thing that's unique about you and your colleagues here in Georgia is that you guys are elected and only 11 of the states in the U.S. do that. How do public utility or public service commissioners usually get their jobs? Yeah, usually they're appointed by the governor. And so you wind up with a lot of really smart people, right, from Harvard or Yale or Stanford, uh, because when the governor can pick whoever she or he wants for the position, you would pick the smartest person, maybe the most qualified person. But when you are in a state where these regulators are elected, then all of that, all of that's out the window because the reg, the prospective regulator has to convince the voters. And in Georgia, that's a little over 10 million, 10 million citizens. You've got to convince them that you're the best person for the job. 
part of your compact with voters is if they don't like what you're doing, then they throw you out of office the next time you're on the ballot. As they say about electricity in the United States, it's 50 grand experiments. So when you, when you go into the office every day and you, you, you have meetings and you sit in hearings, you know, who do you think of first and foremost as your, your customer? You know, I put questions on my website that I ask myself, you know, as I'm making votes. And as I think about constituencies, and politicians do typically think in terms of constituencies, you think about your general public that's out there, you know, that's, you know, that has a home or an apartment. Uh, You think about companies that are attempting to make widgets or provide services, but really the utility themselves are one of the constituencies because Part of our task is to make sure that these companies are doing well financially, uh, that they aren't going hand to mouth, that they're that they, you know, they don't let the phone ring 50 times before they pick it up, that their trucks aren't uh, breaking down, that utility poles aren't dry rotting. Uh, So there is some, I guess, value with those utilities having J.D. Power Awards and getting the lowest interest rate and having a good rating on Wall Street, all of that ultimately impacts the price of electricity or gas uh, or telephone service um, based on what's going on out there in your state and in the country as a whole. A lot of folks, especially those that are in the energy industry or are looking at it from the outside are increasingly aware of the regulatory side of this industry because of what happened in 2021, uh, particularly in Texas. And as I think most of our listeners know, we've talked about this over the last uh, year almost now, um, but Texas uh, had a massive outage and uh, a lot of people's lives were lost. Uh, Many, many lives were impacted. And so this has put a spotlight on Texas and its regulatory oversight. Uh, So I'm curious, can you kind of give us a view as a regulator uh, what is it about Texas that's unique? And then what do you think the folks of Texas and other regulators, including yourself, have learned from that experience of, you know, gosh, no one wanted an outage that big. So what were the lessons you took away? Well, it's human nature to think that you have the best system, right? I mean, you're driving along, everybody going faster than you is a maniac and everybody going slower than you is an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so, and- some ways, you know, we're very, uh, we're very comfortable with, you know, with where we're, we're at. I mean, I'm often defending the fact that we still regulate utilities here in Georgia and that we're not in a market like PGA, PJM or some other uh, deregulated environment. Uh, and people ask me, not all the time, but from time to time, hey, don't you think you should deregulate uh in Georgia, electricity, just like you have gas. And my comment is always, well, you know, I might be willing to do that if things are broken, Uh, but things aren't broken and I'm not going to upset the status quo uh, when it's working just fine in order to try a social experiment. So going to Texas, the Texans, of course, they're proud of not only you know, their ERCOT and their and their energy system, they're proud of everything they do out there. They think <laughs> their barbecue is the best. They think their football team is the best. So, you know, Texas is a, you know, an island unto itself. And they, they do have so much going for them, right? I mean, they've got oil wells. They've got a great wind corridor. They've got wonderful sun. Uh, they've got a, a massive geography. Um, I don't think they have income tax. I mean, there's there's a lot of great things happening out there, but one of the hazards to you know to their to their grid was the fact that there wasn't a lot of incentive for these energy plant owners to do preventive maintenance. So there was no way for these companies to really recover all of the costs that might be involved in winterizing or doing excessive, as I call it, gold-plated preventive maintenance like you have in a state like Georgia, where the power company loves to do preventive maintenance. They'll do as much as we'll allow them to do uh, because they're getting paid for that. And that wasn't the case in Texas. So I think they were riding on a much thinner margin, uh, reserve margin, than we were. And I I certainly don't want to throw stones at Texas because if you know, this type of thing could happen to any state if, you know, if certain circumstances lined up and there was a lot, 
that went wrong, uh, you know, in January of that year when Texas uh, went, Texas lost 4.5 million customers in that outage. So I think they've, they've learned a lot. They've made some changes, but, uh, but principally, their system is very different than ours. And I, I don't desire to deregulate at this time in Georgia. And I'm sure Texas really doesn't, uh, doesn't want to go back to things the way it was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago either. Well, for people in the electricity industry that think uh, capital market competition is always the best answer, and I certainly was somebody that leans that way, uh, and Texas was seen as an icon of going to the extreme of letting uh, competition take take its full swing. Uh, and I think that, uh, that it was a good example and a powerful reminder to everybody that uh, the role that regulators play can sometimes sometimes needs to be bigger than free market minded folks would prefer. And uh, I think what's going to happen is that, to the point you said, is that they're going to get incented to make more investments in the uh, winterization and other uh, reliability dimensions of their grid. And it, I think we're all learning from it, but it was a powerful, painful lesson. And we certainly learned our lessons here in the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, certainly being the tip of the spear for something like uh, a, a nuclear reactor technology that hadn't really been proven uh, I would never do that again. I would never sign up without a substantial federal backstop uh, to do a tip of the spear, first of a kind project ever again, because it it just has too much risk associated with it. And and if a company like Westinghouse can be bankrupted, you know, by its parent company, then we're not safe from anyone. Uh, being bankrupted other than the federal government. Everybody lives and learns and makes mistakes. I think in the end, we'll be glad that we built these reactors because there will be a carbon price in the future and these reactors will have even more value. And certainly I think the world's coming around and seeing that energy from nuclear reactors is really the only way to achieve the aggressive climate goals that are out there. In the process, you know, we all learn something. That's a really interesting uh, point of view. I would uh, love to have a debate with you on nuclear reactors one day, but we will uh, put that off because what we want to talk about today, I think, is has turned out since you and I decided to have this conversation several months ago. It's turned out to be quite the topic of the month, which is net metering. And for all of the listeners at Freeing Energy, they know that uh, net metering is uh, a critical component of making rooftop solar, small-scale solar, local energy, as we call it, uh, affordable, or at least more affordable. Many years ago, when it was first rolled out, it was contentious. There were some big battles uh, within different states, and that is happening once again uh, with new stories, new actors, and I think it's a really important topic. And uh, I'm very pleased uh, that Georgia introduced net metering uh, a little while ago, and a lot of folks have benefited from it. So let's roll back just a little bit, Tim, and uh, tell us um, what is net metering, and then we'll talk about one of the things I'm really excited to get your input on is how did Georgia go about getting it? But let's start with the basics, 101. What is net metering? Well, we had instantaneous netting uh, going on with solar arrays across the Georgia power system. There were a couple of EMCs like Cobb EMC and Jackson EMC and Sony EMC that were offering true net metering or monthly netting. It essentially changed the value proposition for a solar array by about 30%. It reduced the payback by about 30% because you were essentially being paid retail for the solar you were feeding back on the grid instead of wholesale. So instead of getting three cents, you were getting 12 cents. And you can see that quickly changes the value of what you had invested in. And for the longest time, the utility wasn't interested in doing monthly netting. And, and in fact, you know, they were really not interested in doing it when I offered it as an amendment. We just essentially took a big pill. And for those of you that think back to your childhood where your parents may have bribed you to take you know, some penicillin or something by putting it in a big scoop of ice cream, that's essentially what we did. I put net metering into a scoop of ice cream and that ice cream was the capital structure that the utility was seeking for their Wall Street interaction. We didn't give them exactly what they wanted, but we got close. And as a result of that, I felt like, you know, if we're going to give them 
this in order to enhance their position in New York, let's make sure we get some things back for our customers. We put provision to experiment or have a pilot with net metering for up to 5,000 new customers. We already had about 1,800 customers that were behind the meter that were getting wholesale for their power. So it wasn't net metering, but they were selling, essentially selling back every day to the utility. Those customers were grandfathered in Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Yes, I uh, you know I know a lot of the folks in the industry and I do have solar on my roof and I am the beneficiary uh, of the upgraded grandfather benefit of that policy which I really appreciate. You know, when you and I sat down and talked about this and and contemplated doing this podcast, you told me a fascinating story about how the process of proposing and getting votes for something like net metering, which is a proxy for all the policy that you put in place, but how it actually works. And I found it fascinating because what I typically only read about is the high level stuff, the arm wrestling part, but um, the process was fascinating to me. Could you just spend a minute or two talking about how uh, that got proposed and, and how it worked its way through to ultimately become policy in Georgia? The solar community has been asking for net metering from the very day that I got to the commission in 2011. Uh, so this is something they've been wanting. Uh, I think maybe they just gave up um, until 2019 and we were teeing up the rate case uh, for the power company and uh, Thatcher Young and James Marlowe came into one of my colleagues' offices where I was sitting there talking and basically said, hey, commissioner, what about revisiting monthly netting? And the thing that had helped kind of put this back on my radar was that I had uh, helped secure a solar pavilion for the Gullah Geechee descendants on Sapelo Island, uh, one of the barrier islands in, in Georgia, to provide power for their library. And it didn't have monthly netting. And when I looked at all the hard work that we did to get this donated and saw what little benefit they were getting, I was so disappointed. Uh, that, hey, we've gone to all this work, we raised $35,000 and we got this, we got this pavilion built and they're only getting, you know, this little amount for all of that effort. And so I was, it was a perfect time for Thatcher and James to say to me, what about monthly netting again, commissioner? And that really gave me the idea to 
uh, to do an amendment in that rate case and to attempt to add it as a part of this overall package that we were going to provide for the power company. Uh, Fortunately, I got the votes I needed uh, in order to be able to do it. And Net, meter, net metering became a reality. And how does that work? So you you had an idea that you wanted to turn into policy. Uh, you know, you do this every day, so it's really obvious to you and probably kind of boring, but just tell me, how, how did you turn that idea, that goal? Uh, what did you write? Where, what part of the process did it go into? How did that work? I really sought uh, the opinion of James and Thatcher because, you know, one, they were instrumental in getting you know, getting me to start thinking about it again. But I also wanted to have it right technically. So I ran the the wording past them. I ran the wording past our staff and some others and, you know, found uh, the, what I thought was the right language. I then had to go back a month later and essentially uh, reiterate what I had meant and get a commission vote on it again so we actually had to approve it twice because um, I was wanting 5,000 new customers and the power company was basically arguing, well, this is not clear to us whether or not the existing 1,800 customers are a part of the 5,000. So I had to go back and clarify with essentially a clarifying motion to make sure that the utility was perfectly clear that what we wanted was 5,000 new customers or 32 megawatts of new solar. Is net metering important to the future of residential solar and local energy? Solar panels on a home offer a way to save money on electric bills from utilities. And net metering is an important component of those savings and in the decision to go solar. After all, if you produce more solar energy than you consume and you send the extra to your utility, you should be compensated, right? It helps justify the expense of installing the solar panels in the first place. At least that is one point of view. Net metering is a billing mechanism which allows utilities to give consumers credit for what they inject back into the grid. It's like running a power meter backwards when excess solar energy flows back into the grid. According to the Solar Energy Industries Association, between 20 and 40% of the electricity produced by residential solar panels goes back to the grid. So getting fair compensation via net metering has become an economic cornerstone for the rapid growth of the solar industry. But not everyone sees the value of net metering in these terms. In fact, net metering is under attack across the country as rooftop solar grows beyond its early niche and begins to threaten the profits of electric utilities. Some 38 states across the country have mandated net metering rules. It's worth noting that net metering rules fall to the states and have not been mandated by the federal government. But is net metering indispensable? In the state of Hawaii, Solar power has been running for almost four years without the net metering program that was supported by Hawaiian Electric. Since 2015, no new customer is entitled to apply for the net metering mechanism. So what happened to new solar power installations? They more or less came to a halt. So Hawaii's leaders went back to the drawing board and created new policies that helped incentivize homeowners to add solar and batteries together. Once again, the industry took off. So is net metering necessary for the success of residential solar? In chapter seven of his recently published book, Freeing Energy, author Bill Nussie suggests that technologies like solar plus batteries expand consumer options and may one day leave net metering less crucial than it is today. Net metering is one of the most contentious, complex, and important topics in local energy today. If you want to learn more about net metering and its role in your local energy future, we've included several very useful links in the show notes for this episode. Now back to Bill and Tim to hear even more. The fact that net metering got on your agenda was because a couple of folks that you know in the community happened to be in your office having a discussion. You know, in my book, I tell a story about my first trip to go visit you and, and others in the Public Service Commission offices. And it was actually James Marlowe who took me on that 
visit. And I, I remember he said, why don't you go meet the public service commissioners? And I said, can you do that? It was really, truly, I mean, Tim, you live in this world, so it's, I probably sound like a, a, a loony noob to you, but I was like, you can just go talk to them. And he goes, you elected them. You can absolutely go talk to them. And uh, so we went in the office and met you and, and, and Bubba McDonald and several other commissioners. And, uh, and it was amazing to me as a person who hasn't typically intersected with government. And frankly, having come from the tech space, the adage is to stay as far away from anything related to the government as you can, uh, that I found everybody I talked to didn't necessarily agree with everything that everyone wanted, but very open to having conversations, uh, very approachable. And it really changed my, my view of, of government. Uh, and you guys uh, and your colleagues really opened my eyes to the role that we as citizens have and particularly people with my background, um, it's a muscle they haven't exercised and one that they can. And so if you don't know much about your public utility commissions, they're, all their stuff's online. Um, go read about it, give them a call, send them an email, go visit them if uh, they're as open as our commissioners are to taking visits. So uh, that's, a, that's a really big deal. And I think a lot of people don't understand that uh, you guys uh, not only will have meetings and talk to concerned citizens, but in the case of the story of net metering, um, happenstance meeting was one of the reasons that you decided to push for net metering in the state, which I'm thankful for. That's a, I think everyone needs to understand that the government isn't this intractable, opaque thing, at least not in every case. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of cynicism out there, and certainly being an elected commissioner gives you more motivation, I think, to meet with people and be uh, very generous with your time, where if you're appointed by a governor, you really only have one constituent, and that's mm. the governor. Good point. You're in your office, and when the governor calls, uh, you you need to answer the phone. But uh, the governor doesn't call my office and ask for things. Uh, so I, I love the fact that we're accountable to the people, uh, and that I have a chance to you know engage and interact and educate uh, you know through my clean energy roadshow and a lot of the other activities. Let me say this on net metering: that the lessons that we learned, that I learned from looking at Arizona, Nevada, California, and some states that were doing some clawbacks of some of the numbers, I think gave us some rationale to do a pilot, to start small, because we could always add to it. But my fear was, look, if we go all in on this, and this is unlimited, and then we claw it back, we're only going to make people mad. So let's do something that's permanent. Um, but give ourselves room to grow the program. Well, that's a perfect segue to our last big discussion point today, which is the future of net metering. And the timing of this podcast will probably come out after some of this has been resolved, but the state of California, who has really been the most aggressive, progressive in terms of net metering, has is really proposing a what I see as an about face uh, and um, uh, going back to more conventional kind of uh, pay wholesale rate type of, payment system. And this is um, reaching the highest levels of discussion. Uh, the governor opined on it the other day of California. And so I think this has put a lot of people on notice that net meeting really matters. Wh whatever your opinion of it is, and I have talked to people who are a hundred times smarter on this than I, who think that California should go with the plan that's been proposed. Uh, and many people think it should be changed and kept more like it has been. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC.
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. What do you take away when you look at the debate in California and think about where we can go in Georgia? Sort of at an academic level, not necessarily any policy prognostications, but what do you take away from those conversations and how does that inform what you think about us in Georgia going forward? Yeah, I'm not surprised to see what California's done. They used to allow Priuses to be in that HOV lane out there, and then they took that privilege away. Uh, all these people had bought Priuses. Half the Priuses made uh, made uh, or sold in America were in California, in part to be able to to be able to get in those lanes. And then the policy changed, and I I think changing policy. Uh, it causes a lot of unrest out there in, in, in the legal and the business community. People like predictability. And it's very important to me for us to create policies and plans and rules that actually will you know, with, withstand the test of time. Our, in, our integrated resource planning process has never been amended, created by Democrats in 1991 and never amended. Uh, it's, it's working beautifully. So, you know, I, I, I feel like that net metering is so important when it comes to providing motivation and value for people to do rooftop solar. Uh, and so being able to articulate why rooftop solar benefits everyone, how it, you know, improves grid efficiency, how distributed energy uh, is a benefit, not just to the homeowner, but everyone out there. I mean, those are arguments that are, that are going to have to be made again. And California certainly has had their share of, uh, I, I guess, a contention out there with utilities. There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of uh, maybe revenge outages. I, I, you know, I look at, I, I look at all that's going on in the Bay Area and 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 the outages that they're having and the impact that that has on, on businesses, on, on food and refrigerators and everything else. And I'm just I'm just kind of baffled how a state that has come so far as California has, uh, you know, is is kind of spiraling out of control in some in some ways. Again, I don't want to throw stones at them because they really have been the leader in electric vehicles still are. Uh, and so many policies are have been put into place because of what California did and the example uh, that that they have have had. But uh, they're going to have to get a handle on this net metering uh, because people have made these investments, uh, you know, for decades. And when consumers feel like they've been cheated or in some way the government has has kind of gone back on a promise. Uh, that was made or utility has gone back, then it doesn't do anything but make for a more contentious environment. I really like that perspective and um, wasn't sure how you'd answer it. And I think that's, that's, that's very valuable. Uh, and I, I didn't really think about the notion that uh, part of the, the value of good policymaking is to not do about faces. And I have, I actually know many people that bought Priuses in California to get in those HOV lanes, that was the main reason they bought them. And I didn't realize that they had uh, disallowed that uh, at a later date. So uh, of course, I don't think anyone buys Priuses anymore, but for the people that had them and held them, that's a bummer. So um, great, great perspective, Tim. Thank you. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am. And I'm just kind of curious, what's Tim Eccles' view of wh where would you like to see net metering in Georgia as uh, as we go out the next couple of years? You know, I'm one commissioner of five, so I certainly can't make any, any hard and fast promises, but I would love to see us quadruple the number that we had in this next integrated resource plan. So let's take it from 5,000 to 20,000 uh, and keep the program going since we've got all the, the mechanisms in place, the systems in place at the power company. Uh, let's, let's keep it going. But I, I do think it's going to be a difficult sell 
Uh, the power company's still not in favor of net metering, and I know they're going to be pushing back against it. So I'm not overly optimistic that I can get this done, I'm, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Well, a lot of our listeners are in Georgia, so this is a great point to make uh, to to you and your colleagues and to let then people need to let the government know that they care about this. So um, uh, that's a bit of a call to action for all of us that want to see more net metering in the state. So thanks for that, Tim. So let's take off your uh, your uh, commissioner hat and put on your strategy hat. You know, you're as knowledgeable about net metering as most people and certainly as involved with it as any. Um, where do you think it's going to be in 10 or 15 years once we get through this stage where we're still shaking it off and figuring it out? Where do you think it's going to land in the long term? You know, I think there's a possibility that utilities take the marketplace that many of them are developing. I know Con Ed had a very robust marketplace that I turned Georgia Power onto, and Georgia Power used to just be selling a light or two. Now they're selling all kinds of things. But I, I, I do think there's a possibility that in 10 years that you can order batteries for your home off those marketplaces, you can order solar systems off your home, maybe even electric cars from the utility, of course, chargers, of course, uh, some of the other things that you can already get. But I, I do see the utilities going into on-bill financing a little bit further and offering a greater variety of products. And to double back, do you think that net metering will exist in 10 years? Does it need to? What's your perspective on that? I think there are certain EMCs like Cobb EMC and Jackson EMC that have really made it a part of their brand. I think it will uh, will stay robust with some of the, the smaller EMCs that were really doing it on their own voluntarily uh, because they felt like it was the right thing to do for their members. With Georgia Power and, you know, big utilities, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if I'll be on the commission in 10 years. Oh, wow. I hope, <laughs> I, love, I love the job, but future commissions may require the utility to do even more net metering. Uh, I think that's a possibility. The commissioner certainly can compel the utility to do it. But the utility is trusted. They get JD Power Awards. They have the experts that we talked about earlier. Their opinion, their assessment, their track record matters. Uh, and it, it means something with the commissioners. Uh, and I think, you know, we always give them their say. I would even say we always give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I mean, they're not perfect. Uh, they do make mistakes from time to time, but they do a great job at running the Georgia grid. People have come to have come to rely uh, on the reliability of the grid. Businesses move here. It's a part of the economic development pitch that's made. The reliable power, the 15% below the national average power, all of that means something and carry some cachet with commissioners. I think a great perspective that a lot of people don't have the benefit of. I'm, I'm grateful that you've uh, decided to share your time with us today and our listeners and, and offer that to us. Because I think the more we see the bigger picture, the more diverse opinions, uh, the more I think we can get to conclusions that benefit everybody. And at the risk of sharing my own far less expert opinion, I will tell you that I think the topic of net metering will die down. And this is Bill Nussie's, you know, uh, non-expert but deeply researched opinion. And the reason is the net metering matters a lot if you just have solar. But as the price of solar goes down, you know, it's a, about three dollars a watt to build it in the U.S., but in Australia, it's only a dollar, dollar ten to build it. So there's a lot of just basic blocking and tackling to lower the price of solar. And following that, you've also got batteries, residential batteries, power walls, and other brands. Uh, getting more and more affordable. So there's a turning point. I don't know if it's five years, 10 years, but I think we'll see a time in the future where people will be able to use all of the power they generate. And so it doesn't matter to them how much they send back to the grid or what they get paid for it because they'll be utilizing all the solar they generate by storing it in their batteries in their cars uh, when they can't use it immediately. Uh, I think I, I think you you may be right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but I want to make sure that we all are as educated as possible and make decisions eyes wide open uh, as we get towards that future time. Well, Tim, this has been incredibly educational and a lot of fun. And um, uh, the last part of our podcast with with all of our esteemed guests is what we call the lightning round. And this is just a quick um, 
picture into your, your worldview. And we have four quick questions we ask everybody. So uh, without more ado, let me just jump in with the four lightning round questions. Uh, what excites you most about being in the clean energy business? Hmm. I, I think deploying clean energy in ways that make sense. That That's what really motivates me. If you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing, what would it be? It would be to have solar panels work with moonbeams. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, what do you think will be the single most important change in how we generate, store, and distribute electricity in five years? I think it's going to be hydrogen. Hydrogen's impact is a near perfect fuel and uh, and the impact it's going to have in the fertilizer and plastic business. Interesting. All right. And final question. What do you say to folks who are outside the industry and they come to you and ask, uh, what can they do to help? What, how do you answer that question? You need to live it personally, a sustainable lifestyle. You bec- need to become a savvy energy customer. You need to implement efficiency into your life, you know, as much as you can do and can afford. Well, there you go. Tim, this this has been so enlightening. It's been a ton of fun. I've learned a bunch, which is uh, I'm grateful for. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time. So thanks again for uh, sharing all these insights with us and, and helping Georgia get uh, more solar and more net metering and all the things you're doing. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for joining us today. You have been listening to the Freeing Energy Podcast, personal stories from the clean energy movement. To learn more about the Freeing Energy Project, visit our website, freeingenergy.com. Subscribe to the Freeing Energy Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure more people learn about clean local energy by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer.